Hello, and welcome to episode 8 of the Rye Cooter Story, as ever a podcast dedicated to the music, movies, and career of slide guitar master Rye Cooter. My name is Frank. I'm a video producer, podcaster, and lifelong Rye Cooter fan from Berlin, Germany, bringing you this podcast with a little help from text-to-speech AI. Today we have a lot to talk about. First, there are a couple of session albums to start with. Then there is Cooter's solo album number 5, Chicken Skin Music from 1976. It contains what he would later call his biggest inspiration, the fusion of Tex-Mex, Hawaiian, and Gospel. If there were ever such a thing as a typical Cooter style, this would probably be it. At the very least, it's a style he's returned to again and again throughout his long career. And Chicken Skin Music is where it all began. It's a very exciting story. So here we go. By 1975, Cooter was working less and less as a session musician. When he did, it was usually for old friends like Arlo Guthrie, Randy Newman, or producer Terry Melcher, who released his own album in 1974. Cooter also made an exception for one of his old heroes, Johnny Cash. Cash released his 51st album in 1975 with the brittle title John R. Cash. It was a collection of covers, including Randy Newman's My Old Kentucky Home, which, as we know, Cooter had also recorded on his first album. In his autobiography, Cash later commented rather critically on John R. Cash. He wasn't happy with the fact that the instrumental tracks were recorded separately from the vocals, a standard practice that Cash himself didn't usually follow. In addition, this was the first Cash album not to feature his regular backing group, the Tennessee Three. Instead, producer Gary Klein recruited a number of session musicians, including members of Elvis Presley's backing group. Cooter is featured on one song, Smoky Factory Blues, originally written by Albert Hammond and Mike Hazelwood. But I work to make a living, and I work without a break. And I work when I am sleeping, and I work when I'm awake. Yes, and I like to leave the city, but I can't afford to move. And I think I'm going under with them way down low down, smoky factory blues. For the Doobie Brothers album Stampede, Cooter gave one of his last classic performances as a session musician for Warner Brothers. He is one of many additional players on the album. The cover, by the way, shows the band as Westerners. Cooter's contribution makes the rainy day crossroad blues swing. In 1976, Cooter told Melody Maker about his session work. It got so time-consuming, and it's just not that much fun anymore. It's such a business, and though I wouldn't call it a hack scene, it's pretty uninteresting. There are guys that like to do that, and that's fine for them, 
but I found that if I went into a session and tried to do something creative, they'd mix it out anyhow. So what the hell's the point? I've got more important things to do, and that takes time. Chicken Skin Music would be Cooter's most ambitious project to date. A whole new style, more than two years in the making. It all started in 1973, with a car of all things. Cooter needed a new car that year, and his choice fell on a Chevy Suburban SUV. Not because of the big engine or the beguiling design. No, the car had a cassette radio that could also be used for recording. Cooter was immediately sold. This was a device he had to have. One day, while driving his new purchase, he listened to a Mexican radio station. They played a kind of music he had never heard before. An accordion, a 12-string guitar, and two singers singing Spanish lyrics in perfect harmony. To Cooter, this was beautiful bar music, almost like R&B. Where on earth did it come from? He pressed the record button and drove home. Next, he called up Arhuli Records founder Chris Strachwitz. German-born Strachwitz, who lived in Berkeley, was known for his extensive knowledge of all kinds of roots music. Cooter played him the tape over the phone. Do you know this? He asked. Yes, Strachwitz said. Do you have records like that? Yes, the label boss replied, 10,000. Now there was no holding back. The very next day, Cooter and his wife flew to San Francisco to listen to his new discovery with Strachwitz. And as it turned out, Strachwitz was not exaggerating. He actually owned that many albums of Mexican music. Among them, of course, was the very song Cooter had heard on the radio. Suddenly, a whole new musical world opened up to him. It was something that reminded him, in a strange way, of gospel music. He had never seen an accordion before. He was so taken with the sound that he bought one shortly afterwards. And just as he had tried to accompany his old blues records on the guitar as a child, he now tried to teach himself to play the accordion. Day after day for six months, if only to understand how it worked and what the players did technically. As luck would have it, Chris Strachwitz was about to make a documentary about the music of the Texas-Mexico border region Les Blank, a documentary filmmaker specializing in music, was to direct. Strachwitz offered Cooter the chance to come along on the shoot, so they drove up and down the Rio Grande, visited several border towns, and met many musicians. Cooter learned a lot about Nortino, a type of music that had developed on both the Texas and Mexican sides of the border. It had been heavily influenced by German and Austrian immigrants who had brought accordions with them in the 19th century. The Nortinos had incorporated their waltzes and polkas into their melodic structures. Cooter's idea was to find a regional player who would be compatible and interested, but most of the people he met weren't. Finally, they arrived in San Antonio. 
There he met Flacco Jimenez. Born in 1939, Flacco came from a rich lineage of accordionists on the west side of San Antonio. His grandfather was one of the first Chicanos in Texas to discover the upbeat polkas that make up the bulk of Tex-Mex, or Tejano, music. His father, Santiago, defined and popularized the style in the 30s and 40s. From an early age, however, Flacco was drawn to more innovative musical sounds that incorporated elements of mainstream American country, jazz, and rock music. He was the first pure Tex-Mex musician to export the tradition beyond the borders of Texas to a pop audience. He collaborated with the American singer-songwriter Doug Somm and was featured in Les Blanc's aforementioned music documentary, Chulas Fronteras, Beautiful Borders. He said in an interview, Around 1956, I started jazzing it up, playing jazz runs or blues things combined with country. You see, I was really raised in the countryside of music. I just liked to explore whatever came. To me, it was like putting a little seasoning into tacos, you know. Flacco's natural attraction to a diverse array of creative influences made him a perfect fit for Cooter. There were faster accordion players, but Flacco was interested in people outside his own realm. While he was setting up his band for a performance at a local dance, Cooter picked up the accordion and played a song he had learned from listening to one of Jimenez's records. This impressed the regional musicians and paved the way for the ensuing collaboration. Cooter, I wanted to show them how I've done this out of total ignorance, coming from the wrong place, and that I mean business. I'm serious. Cooter spent the next three years traveling between California and South Texas to work with Jimenez and his band. And as if that weren't enough, he also found the time to work on yet another exotic project. Cooter discovered legendary Hawaiian slack key and steel guitar player Gabby Pahinui after his wife brought home some of his albums from a vacation in Hawaii. He said, So I listened to Gabby Pahinui, and I could see that this was something really spectacular. It's sweet-sounding, it's soft, it has a real full sound, and it's in open tuning. The music has really strong, earthy qualities, and the more you hear, the more you realize that it's really amazingly good guitar music. To make contact, Cooter sent some of his own records to Panini Records, Pahinui's label in Hawaii, and asked if Pahinui would like to meet him. He received an invitation to come to Pahinui's home in Waimanalo. To cover his expenses, Cooter took a gig at a music festival in Honolulu in the summer of 1974. Afterwards, he hung out with Pahinui on the beach. They got to know each other and played some stuff together. Cooter was deeply impressed by Pahinui's attitude. For years, Cooter had been trying to get the notes right on the guitar. But Gabby, born in Honolulu in 1921, was far beyond notes. For him, it was all about the approach. Cooter, he's one of the guys who's going to magically insert himself right into the microphone, through the wires, and onto the tape, and then onto the record which is a very hard thing to do. And that's besides being an utterly fantastic musician. Like Bahamian guitar master Joseph Spence, Gabby became a musical inspiration to Cooter. To him, they were the great masters with a high Zen understanding. Cooter participated in the recording of the Gabby Pahinui Hawaiian Band, the fifth album Gabby recorded for Panini Records. The group consisted of his sons Blah and Cyril, road crew buddy Joe Gang, 
bassist Randy Lorenzo, slack key player and vocalist Sonny Chillingworth, and Ad Isaacs on lead guitar. The recording took place over 12 days in the late summer of 1974 in the remote North Kona district of Oahu. Cooter later described the collaboration in a brilliant article for Crawdaddy magazine. Gabby and the group had rehearsed about 20 songs that I had never heard before, so I had to learn each one as fast as I could, especially since Gabby expected me to take solos. Recording Hawaiian style turned out to be no stranger than recording with Sleepy John Estes. Nobody says, ready, one, two, three, nor do they play a tune more than twice. Hawaiians are by nature discreet and deferential, and no one wants to count off or assume any leadership role. But this was Gabby's big shot, and being the oldest and best in the room, he had to lead. And he didn't like it. By the way, the Crawdaddy article was kindly contributed by Nicole Hersey. She's one of the administrators of the Rye Cooter fans group on Facebook and probably Cooter's biggest fan herself, and a very passionate collector of all things Cooter. If you're not already a member, be sure to check the group out. Thanks again. About the songwriting Cooter wrote, The lush melodies and poetry of these songs reveal an amazing opulence of vocabulary with reference to nature. The Hawaiian concept of songwriting seems to express all meaning through natural imagery. Rain, dew, wetness, spray, mist, coolness, fragrance, and so on. Many of the old songs describe beautiful or dramatic places, cliffs, waterfalls, mountains, and one local song commemorates the little bay where we lived and recorded. after a while that these people play very relaxed, not slow or laid back, but truly peaceful and smooth. The five guitars and bass would begin each song with a rolling intro that would turn into the song at a moment they all knew precisely, and then each player took a piece of the rhythm. It all worked beautifully, especially because they adjust their instruments to different tunings so that the harmonics and overtones build up to an incredibly full sound. I stayed away from guitar, playing mandolin, and sometimes a full-sized Colombian tipple, a ten-stringed ukulele that cut through in the higher registers. 
Cooter played the tipple on Moonlight Lady, a beautiful song sung in English. According to Cooter, the album was a hit in Hawaii, outselling even Elton John after its release in 1975. On the mainland, the album was distributed by Warner Brothers. To help sell the album, Cooter personally took it to record stores. A second volume with five more Cooter contributions was released two years later. Gabby Pahinui didn't want to leave Hawaii, but he agreed to play on Cooter's next album as long as the songs were recorded in his homeland. Before we continue with the story of the production of chicken skin music, here is one last historical footnote regarding the Rolling Stones. As we recall, Cooter had participated in some Stone sessions in 1969, resulting in several album contributions. At the time, there was also a rumor that he might become Brian Jones' successor. About five years later, the story repeated itself. At the end of 1974, Mick Taylor said goodbye to the Stones and again the rumor mill was in full swing. Anyone who was somehow prominent and had ever picked up a guitar was on the list of possible replacements. Peter Frampton was among them, Jeff Beck, Rory Gallagher, just to name a few. In January 1975, Melody Maker added a whole bunch of other names, including Ry Cooters. Whether this was pure speculation or there was something to it, we'll probably never know. But in reality, there is little to suggest that it was. First. The Stones later emphasized that they wanted to remain a purely British band. Second, Cooter's first trip to Stones country had a bitter aftertaste for several reasons. It was the clash of two worlds that didn't really mix. And third, Cooter's own career had long since moved in a different direction to new musical shores. So it came as no surprise when Ronnie Wood joined the Stones as their second guitarist. Meanwhile in San Antonio, Cooter and Flaco Jimenez had to figure out the arrangements for their songs. They had to find out what each instrument was going to play, and they needed patterns for them. Cooter's music was completely alien to the Mexicans. They had never heard of Woody Guthrie or Lead Belly. But after a while they got it. Cooter, on the other hand, joined them for a few concerts and demonstrated that he could blend seamlessly and unobtrusively into the Tex-Mex style with his Stratocaster. Okay, now we got another attraction to Flaco Jimenez's band. And it's a, one of our best friends is Rye. Here we go, I guess. Rye Poor. All right. At a gig in Austin in 1975, the ensemble gave a first taste of what would become Chicken Skin Music's collaboration, playing He'll Have to Go. Tell your friend there with you. 
So it was no surprise that when Cooter suggested Flacco bring his band to Los Angeles to help with the sessions for Chicken Skin Music, Flacco readily agreed. Cooter told Melody Maker, For years I didn't know about this type of music, and if I had, I would have made records a lot differently. I think it suits what I do better than anything else I've found in terms of an ensemble. You can do well as a soloist, like I did before. It's cheap and you can make a lot of money, but in terms of direction you can't keep doing that. People would keep hollering for tunes that I couldn't play on my own. I needed a rhythm section, but I didn't want to go out with just a bunch of studio guys. That's no fun either. What was lucky was that I found a ready-made band like this, a ready-made good band too. When I discovered they were not only capable musicians, but also capable of playing what I want to play better than it's even been played before, then I knew I was onto something. But Cooter didn't stop there. He wanted to incorporate two more musical ingredients. First, he wanted to have his new Hawaiian friends to be on the album, too. Only then would his all-American band be complete. Second, he wanted to continue working with his backup singers. For him, gospel singers Bobby King, Terry Evans, and Herman Johnson were a complimentary thing to the whole idea. Bobby King was born in 1944 in Lake Charles, Louisiana. He received his musical training at his father's church, the Pleasant Valley Congregation. He came to Los Angeles in the 1960s and continued to sing with gospel groups. Before entering the music business, he did a play called Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope, which was a hit in the States. Through it, he met Cooter's brother-in-law, Russ Teitelman. Teitelman introduced him to Cooter, who needed some singers. Together, Cooter and Teitelman produced King's promo single, Looking for a Love, in 1973. It was the beginning of a lifelong friendship and collaboration. Terry Lee Evans was born in 1937 in Vicksburg, Mississippi. He sang in a local church gospel group, but was also exposed to the work of mainstream blues musicians. He worked semi-professionally with an a cappella group called The Knights before moving to Los Angeles in the 1960s. He expanded his repertoire by learning to play guitar and began writing songs for other musicians, including Pop Staples and Louis Jordan. In the early 70s, King and Evans teamed up. On Chicken Skin Music, the backing vocal trio is completed by Herman Johnson. Sometime in late 1974 or early 75, while on tour with Randy Newman, Cooter let Newman listen to some of the Tex-Mex music he had recently discovered and loved so much. After listening to the accordion stuff, Newman made a face and said, You're going to commit commercial suicide. Cooter replied, Oh, but it swings. It's beautiful, and I'm having such fun. But as it turned out, Newman was quite right. This time there's no wry grin on the cover. Like Boomer's story, 
It has an all-black background, but instead of a photo, we see a painting in the style of Mexican folk art. It's by an American artist named Kenneth Price, who is best known for his abstract shapes made of fired clay. The painting depicts a surreal scene. A skeleton wearing a sombrero and a naked woman appear to be having sex in the middle of the village square. In the background, we see a stylized colorful fence and two snow-covered mountain peaks. On the back of the album, the same scene takes place on a green hill, with a house and two palm trees in the background. Cooter told the New Musical Express about Price, who is credited as Kenny on the cover. When I saw his work, I realized that it was exactly what I had been doing. He had been taking the Mexican myths and folk images and making these weird things happen. Cause the geometry of that cover is very complicated, much more so than a traditional Mexican painting would be, and they certainly wouldn't paint that image of the lady and the skeleton. What he had done was kinda what I thought I was doing in taking a form and bending it a little bit. Chicken Skin Music was recorded at Warner Brothers Recording Studios in North Hollywood. For the first time, Cooter produced his own album, with Lee Hirschberg returning as mixing engineer. Musicians Jim Keltner, Milt Holland, Chris Etheridge, and George Bohan were again on board, among many others. The title Chicken Skin Music comes from a Hawaiian slang expression that means goosebumps. Apparently, that's the kind of feeling Cooter got from listening to Hawaiian music, but also from listening to Lead Belly. To help the listener access the various pieces of music, Cooter himself wrote extensive liner notes. He told Sounds Magazine, I finally realized that when people know more, they hear more that they may not recognize or pick out otherwise. Because it's not just so obvious what's going on on some of those things, and it just heightens, I guess, somebody's appreciation having that information. It's something I should have done before, but I really realized on this one that I needed to do it. In the United States, the cost of printing the liner notes came out of Cooter's own royalties. In most other countries, the album was released without the notes, a fact that Cooter was unaware of. He was rather disappointed by the label's policy and later said he would have arranged for the liner notes to be included if someone had told him earlier. After introducing male backup singers on Paradise and Lunch, Cooter expands again on chicken skin music. Some new kind of world music is emerging, but the basis for Cooter's arrangements always remains blues and gospel. In a 1980 interview with guitar player, he explained that he usually started with gospel chords because they were the most important premise. Only then would he build on them with Nortino or Hawaiian. It wasn't easy, but over time a new style began to emerge. As we'll see, Cooter even integrates one more style into the album's first song. It's a cover of one more Lead Belly classic, The Bourgeois Blues. Me, my wife, run all over town. Everywhere we go, the people would turn us down low. The Bourgeois Blues recounts the racial discrimination Lead Belly encountered on a 1937 trip to Washington, D.C., where he was to record with folklorist Alan Lomax. While traveling around the city looking for a place to eat, their racially mixed group was unable to be seated in any of the segregated restaurants. Years later, Lomax described another situation in an interview. He came to stay with me in Washington. Washington, at that time, 
was a Jim Crow town, and blacks weren't supposed to enter white hotels or houses. Well, I lived in a little apartment across from the Library of Congress, and Led Belly and his wife Martha came up to spend the night with us. The landlady objected, and Led Belly and Martha, at the head of the stairs, heard the argument that I had with the lady. She said she was going to call the police and have us all put out. So we finally had to get in a car and find a hotel. But Led Belly made a song about this called Bourgeois Blues. Cooter begins the song in a relatively straightforward manner, with just his vocals and the mandolin. After about a minute, the bottleneck guitar comes in, then the Bajo Sexto, a Mexican stringed instrument with 12 strings and six double courses. Then a French accordion adds a surprising Cajun flavor, another new element that hints at Cooter's later film work on Walter Hill's Southern Comfort. In the liner notes, Cooter said, I learned a little accordion from Flacco, who is a master, enough to try Louisiana French accordion on another Lead Belly song, the Bourgeois Blues. The Bajo Sexto I got in San Antonio also fits this piece well. It is a great rhythm instrument. The next song offers a much more lighthearted kind of blues. I got mine as typical street music from the early 20th century. It's the kind of song that tells simple stories about lower class life, in this case the adventures of a gambler who cheats, goes to prison, or is almost shot dead by his girlfriend's new lover. The bad news is, he always gets his share of misery. But the good news is, somehow he always gets away and never loses his sense of humor. I Got Mine dates back to 1901 or two. It was written by a white writer from New Orleans, a traveling show entertainer named John Queen. The music was by one Charles Cartwell. It was a so-called coon song, a musical genre that presented racist stereotypes about people of color. Ironically, the song became a huge favorite among blacks, but the lyrics were soon improved and the song was taken up in the 1920s by southern country string bands and finger-picking guitarists like Big Boy George Owens, Frank Stokes, and Pink Anderson. Anderson was a bluesman who started in medicine show business in 1914 and continued to play well into the 1960s. It was one of his recordings that inspired Rye Cooter to cover the song. to a big crap game Satan was against my will I lost every doggone nickel I had but a greenback dollar bill I bought a dollar bit laying on the floor and my buddy's point was nine when the police come he caught all of us but I got mine yeah. not surprisingly Cooter's version is much more sophisticated it features a complex horn section arranged by George Bohannon and a beautiful electric guitar. Well, 
Song number three is called Always Lift Him Up. It was written by West Virginia fiddler Blind Alfred Reed, who is also responsible for another important cooter track called How Can a Poor Man Stand Such Times and Live? Reed often wrote about social struggle and the fight for freedom. Always Lift Him Up is about our obligation to help and support those who are less fortunate. When he's always grumbled at and never happy Living with a scolding, aggravating wife When he's sick and tired of life and takes to drinking Do not pass him by, don't greet him with a frown Do not fail to lend a hand and try to help him Always lift him up and never knock him down Cooter turns the song into a moving ballad with a gospel feel to it. It is also the first song into which he incorporates the Hawaiian music of Gabby Pahinui and Ada Isaacs. It's the perfect blending of three styles, blues, gospel, and Hawaiian. In his notes, Cooter explained, I did this tune in slack key style, and the instrumental section is an old Hawaiian gospel song, Kanaka Wai Wai, that I learned from Gabby and Ada. Many traditional Hawaiian melodies have a gospel quality that puts me in the same frame of mind as Alfred Reed's lyrics. Sort of solemn but optimistic. Bobby King, Terry Evans, and Herman Johnson, an ordained minister, really carry that feeling. Always lift him up and never knock him down. Always Lift Him Up is followed by He'll Have to Go. Written by husband and wife Teen Joe and Audrey Allison in 1959, it was first recorded with little success by Billy Brown. Shortly thereafter, country singer Jimmy Reeves recorded the song and released it as a B-side single. As it turned out, radio disc jockeys liked it much better than the A-side, and it became a big country and pop hit in early 1960. Put your sweet lips a little closer to the phone Let's pretend that we're together all alone I'll tell the man to turn the jukebox way down low And you can tell your friend According to Wikipedia the song was inspired by a phone conversation between Joe and Audrey Allison in which they had trouble hearing each other. Because of background noise and Audrey Allison's naturally soft voice, her husband had to ask her to put her mouth very close to the receiver, which led her to write the first line of the song. Cooter gives the song a Nortino makeover with a bolero rhythm. He told Zigzag, It's the saxophone and the accordion, sort of taking the sound and the arrangement. You might hear quite a few records that sound like he'll have to go. They might be new or old, but it's a typical kind of way of playing that song, with the little breaks that the accordion and sax do. They intersperse with the lines and all that, so he'll have to go as a suitable melody. I'll tell the man to turn the jukebox Tell 
Side 2 begins with Cooter's gifted version of the standard smack dab in the middle. The song was written in the mid-50s by a certain Charles E. Calhoun. This is nothing more than a pseudonym for the famous rock and roll pioneer Jesse Stone. He also wrote hits like Shake, Rattle, and Roll, and, as we've already heard, Money Honey, which Cooter covered on Into the Purple Valley. This is the jazzy 1955 version by the Mills Brothers. Smack Dab in the Middle is a humorous, light-hearted song about material wealth and luxury. The song talks about wanting to live a hedonistic lifestyle and being in the middle of things. Cooter wrote in his liner notes, The idea of Smack Dab in the Middle came partly from listening to the Golden Gate Quartet and the Pilgrim Travelers. These innovative gospel groups featured complex harmonies and hair's breadth syncopated arrangements. With me on this tune are Jimmy Adams and Cliff Givens, who both have careers reaching back into the heyday of this style. I want a lot of bread and a gangs of meat, oodles of butter and a something sweet, gallons of coffee to wash it down, and by carbonated soda by the pound. The next song is perhaps the most successful song Cooter has ever covered. First performed in 1961, it topped the charts several times over the decades and has been re-recorded over 400 times by various artists. Singer-songwriter Ben E. King alone has earned well over $10 million in royalties. We're talking about the soul classic Stand By Me, of course. When King wrote the song in 1960, he was referencing an older gospel song based on a Bible psalm. He originally wrote the song for the Drifters, but they had no interest in recording it. In a stroke of historical luck, there was time for another recording at the end of the Spanish Harlem Sessions. Ben E. King and the two producers Jerry Labor and Mike Stoller knew what to do with it. So To Cooter, Stand By Me had always sounded like a gospel song, so he turned it into one. It's another example of a perfect blend of gospel and Tex-Mex, with Flacco Jimenez leading the band in a Nortino arrangement, as Cooter put it. Of course, it's also a perfect example of how Cooter can make any song his own, whether the original is old or new, obscure or a world hit. I won't be afraid just as long as you stand by me Stand by me Stand by me Stand 
Speaking of obscure songs, this is Yellow Roses by Sam Nichols and the Melody Rangers, recorded in 1953. It has a country guitar that is actually not that far from the Hawaiian style. But I'll still love you through yellow roses, say goodbye. As mentioned above, Cooter recorded Yellow Roses and Chloe, the following song in Hawaii with Gabby Pahinui and Ada Isaacs. When asked by John Tobler why he decided to have Pahinui sing on Yellow Roses, Cooter explained, Because he's about the best singer I've ever heard. He sings with me just in harmony, really. He was there, and I said, sing with me. I didn't decide. It just happened. Everything just happens. You go into the studio, you sit down, and you say, what'll we do? You get to where it's time to sing. And they say, sing. I said, let's sing this together. And he said, okay. And you get up and do it, and hope that it sounds good, which it does to me. I like it. The second Hawaiian song on chicken skin music goes back to an old show tune from the 1920s, Chloe, Song of the Swamp. The music was by Charles N. Daniels, writing under the pseudonym Neil Moret, and lyrics by Gus Kahn. It is now considered a jazz standard. In the song, an omniscient narrator describes the struggle of a lonely character who makes a long and determined search for Chloe in the desolate swamp. The searcher then picks up the chorus with its hook. I got to go where you are, and declares, if you're alive, I'll find you. It was recorded many times and brought to fame by Paul Whiteman and his orchestra in 1928. Cooter transforms the somewhat unwieldy song into a happy, ingratiating instrumental. The different guitars harmonize perfectly. Cooter uses the tune to thank Isaacs and Pahinui for their wonderful time together. For the last song is back to the good old blues. Hooter wrote, I got the idea to record Goodnight Irene from watching Flacco and his band play boleros, polkas, and waltzes at all night dances. 
Lead Belly started out as a dance musician, and all his songs have a strong beat. If I retouch her back on me, what you gonna do? I'm gonna take, I'm all feeling and die. She said, go ahead and kill yourself then. Irene, good night. Irene, good night. Good night, Irene, and good night, Irene. I guess you in my dream. Lead Billy had told folklorists that he learned the song from his Uncle Terrell, but he was probably fibbing, or Uncle Terrell did not write the song himself, but took it from some unknown source. It could have come from an opera, Tin Pan Alley, or a minstrel show. Although a bit risky, Cooter wanted to turn it into Tex-Mex. And as it turned out, his instincts were right. It was another perfect fit. I asked your mother for you. She told me that you was too young. Never have seen your face And I'm sorry that you ever been born In terms of album sales, Chicken Skin Music turned out to be another Groundhog Day for Cooter. The album's highest position on the pop album charts was a week number 177. But the critics loved it. Andy Childs wrote for Zigzag Magazine in November 1976. There's so much music here, so much fascinating and enlightening music. How many so-called artists can really claim to make albums that are truly both educational and so immensely enjoyable? Time Magazine once said the Rai Cooter makes America come together in its music. Well, now he's stretching his musical horizons to other shores, and the results, even though he's probably just begun, are just as cohesive, a pure joy, a work of art even. John Morthland wrote in Cream, He's come far enough now that when he does a blues or a country song, or a Trinidadian song or a rocker, you don't even think of those labels. All of his material sounds uniquely cooter, regardless of where he's dredged it up, or what new ethnic sounds he's utilizing for inspiration. Chicken Skin Music does him as proud as its predecessors. Chicken Skin Music was both a triumph and a defeat. Cooter had gambled big, risked a lot, but as outstanding as the results were, he also had to accept that he could not reach the masses that way. It was only two years later that he was able to break this pattern with Bop Till You Drop. And as we'll see, it was still a rocky road for Cooter until then. The following tour with the Chicken Skin Review, and even more so the next studio album, Jazz, brought similarly sobering results. At the same time, Chicken Skin Music was perhaps the beginning of a polarization between the U.S. and the rest of the world regarding Cooter's popularity. People in Great Britain and the Netherlands liked him, Germany and Japan were okay, and so was Australia. But in the United States, his music fell on deaf ears. But, as Cooter sang in a song a few years later, that's the way I want it. That's the way it must be done. And that brings us to the end of episode 8 of the Rye Cooter story. Thanks for listening. Before I sign off, here's a little podcast housekeeping. The good news is that the launch of the Rye Cooter story has been quite successful. 
I'm happy to say that the number of listeners is growing tremendously and that the podcast is being listened to all over the world. Thank you so much for being here. All your nice feedback is very much appreciated. I have to say that when I started preparing the first episodes, I wasn't sure if a Rai Cooter podcast would be accepted in this day and age. Well, now I know and I will happily continue to produce. The only thing that didn't work out was my idea to produce bonus episodes to get at least some of the listeners to become Patreon subscribers. As you may know, I've produced three bonus episodes so far, but it turns out there's not enough interest in them to make the effort worthwhile. So I won't be making any more bonus episodes and I just hope that some of you still feel like supporting me on Patreon. Thank you for your understanding. The link to Patreon, as well as to our other social media channels, can be found in the show notes. In two weeks, the Rai Cooter story continues with the aforementioned Chicken Skin Review. It also spawned Cooter's first live album, aptly titled Showtime. Looking forward to that. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time. Bye.